HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Welcome. This is Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and we are broadcasting live from the back of Roberta's in Bushwick at 261 Moore Street. Brunch is being served. Um, today's show focuses on uh, a recent hearing in the New York City um, District Court um, with the Organic Seed Growers and Trade Association uh, who have brought a suit against Monsanto. This was covered in the Times yesterday. Um, and on the line with me today is Jim Gerritsen, uh, who runs Wood Prairie Farm up in Maine. And um, Jim is a founding member of the Organic Seed Growers and Trade Association. Hey, Jim, how you doing, man? Good, Katie. How are you? Excellent. Um, Jim, I did go to the hearing last week. Um, and so um, first, I'd like to have you give us a little background on the case. What's the history, why you brought it, and what exactly is your beef? Well, uh, we filed the case late last winter um, at the end of March and then uh, re-amplified uh, the case and refiled on June 1st with a total of 83 plaintiffs uh, comprised of individual family farmers, independent seed companies, and agricultural organizations. And if you take the membership of all the groups involved, we represent over 300,000 members uh, what we're um, going to the court for is to try to receive court protection from uh, abusive behavior by Monsanto. And the situation is this. Should any of the farms, uh, organic farms, uh, biodynamic farms, non-GMO conventional farms that don't want anything to do with uh, GMO or transgenic agriculture, should we become contaminated by Monsanto's seed not only do we suffer uh, harm because of the contamination of our crops, but in a perverse situation, Monsanto's view is that we um, possess their technology through that contamination episode, and that because we have not paid them royalty uh, on that possession, we would be subject to a patent infringement lawsuit. So we're going to the court to try to gain protection uh, to uh, so that we won't have to defend ourselves uh, from such an action. And in doing this, 
the judge is simply not going to um, uh, give us the protection we seek just because we ask for it, but we're going to have to prove why we should deserve it. And in that way, we are using patent law to um, challenge the validity of the patents that the U.S. Patent Office awarded to Monsanto. We have four separate legal arguments that are self-standing, uh, that are all uh, get involved with uh, fairly depthful uh, patent law, but the um, the bottom line is that if we win one uh, of the four arguments, we win our case. Monsanto will need to de- defeat us on all four arguments for them to win. And what exactly are the um, patent laws that you're invoking here that would protect you uh, from such a case of, of patent infringement should your crops become um, contaminated by these transgenic seeds? Well, fortunately, we have one of the best patent lawyers in the country representing us, and he is Dan Ravisher, the executive director and founder of the Public Patent Foundation in Manhattan. Uh, And, you know, fortunately, I'm a farmer, and I'm glad that he's a good patent lawyer. So I don't understand all of the nuances and details of the patent law, but some of the arguments uh, that I I retain from the um, explanations that have been provided to the farmers are that, one, uh, all of the um, requirements of the law, the patent law, and the Constitution must be met. And there are some that simply aren't being met. For example, uh, in a um, Supreme Court uh, uh, opinion rendered by a Supreme Court justice almost 200 years ago, a fairly famous uh, uh, case where Judge uh, Justice Story um, uh, made the... um, uh, observation that uh, a poison that was to poison people would not be valid uh, for gaining a patent, that there has to have social utility. And part of our argument will be that uh, transgenic agriculture, or <clears throat> more commonly known as GMOs, that these lack social utility. So that's one of the um, uh, points that we'll be proving in court. Uh, there are other points about uh, abusive behavior of Monsanto in the way that they have uh, 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 fought to protect their patents, that they have uh, abused uh, the uh, uh, rights that they have been given by the U.S. Patent Office. So it, it goes on. As I say, there are four separate legal arguments, and if any of your listeners are interested, uh, these are covered in the briefs that we have all already filed with the court, and it is public record. So uh, one can go to um, the PubPat dot uh, org website uh, that's p u b p a t dot org uh, or the organization that I represent. I'm president of the lead plaintiff, and that is uh, Organic Seed Growers and Trade Association. And our website is osgata dot org. That's o s g a t a dot org. And we have those legal filings uh, loaded onto our website. So anybody that's interested is certainly welcome to read them. Well, it is. I mean, just from uh, the hearing that I attended last week, it is clearly a very complex matter. Um, how did you feel the hearing turned out for for your side of the case? Well, uh, we uh, this is of such magnitude for the farmers involved in the lawsuit. Uh, we had over 55 um, plaintiffs that uh, uh, from 22 different states and provinces uh, travel, you know, 3,000 miles, up to 3,000 miles to attend this hearing. I mean, this, for many of us, this is life and death as to whether we're going to be able to stay in business farming. 
let's say in our family's case, we're organic seed growers. The organic seed that we raise needs to be high quality to meet the expectation of the market. And part of that um, perception of quality by our customers is that, that it be free of GMO content. And in fact, that's the norm within the organic seed industry. The expectation of the market is that good quality organic seed is free of GMO content. So if our crops become contaminated by GMO, the value is extinguished with that contamination. And that obviously then threatens our livelihood. And this is the case for all of the farmers within the organic seed community in not only the United States, but Canada as well. Well, if that's the case, that that, that uh, contamination by these uh, transgenic seeds could happen uh, and have an impact on your livelihood, why didn't you just sue on that basis instead of suing for, uh, you know, b- because you're afraid that Monsanto may in some future date pursue a case of patent infringement against you? Why didn't you just go straight for the jugular and say, hey, look, you guys are going to put us out of business because there's no way to control for seed drift? Well, uh, we have not yet been sued to our knowledge, or excuse me, we have not yet been contaminated to our knowledge. Uh, so really, if we waited until we got contaminated to sue Monsanto, um, it would be waiting too long. Uh, the the uh, damage would be there. And the interesting thing is that we are filing this lawsuit under a, a law that Congress passed called the Declaratory Judgment Act, and it was precisely created for this very um, reason, so that um, individuals or companies that feel that they may be impacted uh, by uh, behavior of a patent holder uh, has the right to go to court to gain protection so that they can um, continue on their uh, business activities uh, without this uh, dark cloud hanging over them. So our case has uh, precisely been filed because of the um, uh, opportunity created by this law. And as I say, it's a preemptive action. We're trying to prevent uh, Monsanto from coming after us should we become contaminated. But already we're suffering economic harm. Many of the farmers within our plaintiff group have already given up growing certain crops, crops like soybeans, corn, canola, especially uh, the crops to where the uh, pollen uh, content of the crop is so highly mobile that the wind can blow that from a GMO field uh, controlled by Monsanto across the fence and then come on to the organic farms and contaminate our crops. So there are some farmers uh, in areas, uh, I can think of two right offhand, uh, uh, one in North Dakota and, and one in uh, Kansas, to where they've had to give up growing crops. And this has already become a significant impact on their livelihood and their farm viability. Uh, As you probably know and your listeners know, uh, rotation of crops is a very important um, foundational principle within organic farm production. And to have different crops of different species that we can rotate from one year to the next allows us to break up insect and uh, disease cycles, weed cycles, and like that. And each of those crops is very important for the system as a whole So when a crop like canola or corn has to be eliminated from the rotation, it's a very, very serious uh, uh, dilemma. And and this is something that already is impacting our farmers. They're already uh, losing money and becoming less stable as a farm because of uh, transgenic contamination. 
Uh, I definitely understand that. Um, so when you're talking about, um, you know, seed drift and having to not uh, plant crops that normally you would plant, um, if you are going to protect your fields from transgenic cross-pollination, what do you have to do? I mean, I remember hearing in the hearing that that uh, people were planting or, or rather not planting what they called buffer zones. Can you describe what those are and what kind of impact they have on the economics of farming? Yeah, uh, maybe it would help to provide a little bit of um, historical perspective. Sure. Um, for going back many hundreds of years, English common law uh, required, you know, when communities were largely agricultural, uh, the norms within the community, which was uh, established as English common law, required anyone who might possess harm to their neighbors to contain that harm. So say if you're a neighbor of mine and say if I have cattle, it's my requirement to fence in my cattle onto my farm so that they don't escape from my farm and say, go on to your field and eat your corn or eat your alfalfa or clover. It's my responsibility as a good neighbor to contain any potential harm from my neighbors. And this is how we farmers have conducted ourselves for many hundreds of years. Well, when Monsanto came along with their GMO transgenic agriculture in the mid-1990s, they toss this English common law, this system of uh, being a good neighbor on its head, and now all of a sudden it's the organic farmers that have to prevent contamination from Monsanto crossing over the fence and coming onto our side of the fence. And sometimes the, um, the, the pollen dispersal uh, for some of these uh, crops is uh, two miles, some would argue five miles, and there are some... Um, crops now that uh, USDA is uh, considering deregulating, meaning allowing farmers to grow uh, uh, GMO bent grass. Uh, I think there's a GMO bluegrass, and they've documented that that the um, uh, contamination from these crops can be be 10 to 15 miles. So when you're getting into these kind of of, uh, distances, there's no way that a single farm is going to be large enough, even if they use the entire farm to buffer themselves, their <laughs> isolation is not sufficient enough. So it really becomes ridiculous in nature. And I think it basically has been Monsanto flexing their muscle and the U.S. government uh, basically kowtowing to their wants. And I think it's, it's unjust. And we've found uh, no other remedy but to go to court. Early on in this process, um, our lawyers asked Monsanto to brought, provide a covenant not to sue, which would be a legally binding uh, document. It can be very simple. As our lawyer said, it could be a single sentence on a single piece of paper saying that you won't sue our plaintiffs that want nothing to do with transgenic agriculture. We aren't your customers. We don't want your seed. We don't want your contamination. We want nothing to do with you. We simply want assurance that you won't sue us for patent infringement should you ever contaminate us. And they claim that they did that, though. The Monsanto Monsanto lawyer said that Monsanto had stated in writing that the company had no plans now or in the future to sue these farmers. I think you must have misheard what the lawyer said. What he said is that they have made a public pronouncement on their website that they would not do this. Well, first off, Monsanto has a history of... I mean, why would one believe Monsanto? They have a 110-year history of not, um, not serving the public interest, of being very aggressive in whatever it needs for them to make as much money as they possibly can. So, one, why should we believe them? But two... 
just imagine if we should believe them, because, say, if they were telling the truth, why this is not legally binding, they could wake up tomorrow and change their mind and say, well, that was yesterday's policy, today it's this. That's why we went to court trying to get them to provide a legal binding covenant. What they have on their website doesn't mean anything. In addition, the wording that they have in that refers to a couple of phrases that have no legal meaning. Trace amounts and inadvertent means, well, what's a trace amount? Is it under a certain threshold? Well, they haven't established what that is. So uh, they're trying to play by both sides of the, um, the game here by coming up with something that is so vague that it doesn't mean anything. And in fact, in the legal rebuttal that our lawyers prepared in mid-August, um, uh, the rebuttal to Monsanto's motion to dismiss, which they filed in uh, mid-July, our lawyers actually cited a case where Monsanto was characterizing this assurance that they have on the Monsanto website. Uh, Monsanto themselves made reference in another lawsuit that this is vague and has no legal meaning. So they can't have it both ways. This is the same kind of situation you find that when Monsanto goes to the uh, U.S. Patent Office, they say we have this brand new invention. It's wonderful. It's certainly deserving of a patent. So they convince the Patent Office to give them a patent. Then they go to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and we say, you know, this um, say this GMO corn that we've come up with, it's substantially equivalent to every other kind of traditional corn, and there's no reason for us to label it. And then the FDA listens to them, and they don't require labeling. So which is it? Is it different to where it is deserving of a patent, or is it the same to where it uh, doesn't need to be labeled? It can't be both, yet the federal government has rolled over and played dead and uh, <laughs> not held uh, Monsanto to a reasonable um, standard, and we will bring that reasonable standard to bear in court. Jim, we're going to take like a 30-second sponsor drop right now, and then uh, just stay on the line. We'll come right back because I have a few more questions for you. This is really interesting, and thanks for explaining it so well. We'll be right back with Jim Garrison of the Organic Seed Growers and Trade Association. was sponsored by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Summertime is not the only time when barbecue is welcome. At S. Wallace Edwards and Sons, Sam Edwards has been working his magic on ribs, briskets, pit-cooked pulled pork, and much, much more. Add a few of their sides and the party is complete. Entertaining has never been so easy. To order, go to virginiatraditions.com. This is Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. And on the line with me today is Jim Garretson, who is the founding member and president of the Organic Seed Growers and Trade Association. He's calling us uh, from Maine, where his farm is, the Wood Prairie Farm. Um, Jim, we were just talking about patents and the way the Monsanto company is playing both sides, um, you know, of the patent law, meaning that they 
you know, claim it that they're worthy of a patent in some cases, and yet at the same time, it's the same. And why is everybody complaining about it, about contaminating their seeds? Now, one of the things that Judge Naomi Buckwald said uh, during the hearing that I attended last week um, was that farmers, the farmers, in this case, you guys, um, had gone too far in requesting that the patents be invalidated. How much do you think that that statement of hers hurt your case? Do you think, are you feeling concerned that she's not taking this seriously enough or not understanding the issues? Oh, not at all. Well, that is her job. Her job, uh, and she did a good job at this, to my way of looking at it, her job is to ask questions of both lawyers, uh, kind of the, you know, um, the devil's advocate. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, what is your strong position? Well, I'm going to ask you this question to see if I can undermine that. So that is her job. She was trying to ferret out the truth. So I would not characterize the same way that you did. I don't think, you know, I don't think a good federal judge, and she has a, a stellar record, I don't think that she would um, lower herself to expressing an opinion like that in court. I think she was simply putting the question out there so that our lawyer could um, uh, respond to it. Sure. And, and I think he did so. The fact is that there's a lot of patent law uh, case history that the judge will uh, be having to study with her clerks before she issues this opinion. And, and as you stated before, uh, patent law is very complicated. This is a very complicated case. And she told us that, you know, it would take um, a couple of months, maybe by the end of March, that she would have her ruling. And I think given the uh, complexities of the case and, and the fact that, you know, she's an urban judge from New York City and, and doesn't have any uh, apparent background on agriculture, She's going to probably need all of that time uh, to gain a clear understanding of agriculture and patent law and the case law that was cited by our attorney. And we're confident that in going into this case, we feel that we have a very strong case and that once the court um, uh, can um, have the opportunity to get our arguments, once this goes forward into court, we think we have a very good chance of winning. Well, that's really excellent news. Because um, I, I thought that was kind of a scary statement when she brought that up and said and ma- and asked that question, you know, or even made that statement. Actually, I wrote it down verbatim in my notebook um, that she felt that the patents be- were invalidated. And according to the lawyer for Monsanto, um, Mr. Waxman, the real issue for the farmers should be with the government over whether or not transgenic seeds or products should be introduced into our food system period. So let me ask you, why didn't um, you guys argue this case with the government rather than um, bringing it against Monsanto specifically? Well, uh, it's Monsanto that owns 90% of the patents of major crops. Uh, There are five commercialized uh, uh, GMO crops now, corn, cotton, soybeans, canola, and sugar beets. Uh, But uh, what is very uh, of great concern to us is that there are another 75 or 80 crops uh, awaiting approval at USDA APHIS, uh, crops like um, uh, uh, GMO versions of cabbage, of lettuce, of uh, most of the major vegetable crops that you can imagine. So um, what should these crops become uh, deregulated, the um, opportunity for uh, contamination will skyrocket. Mm-hmm. And we came to conclude that uh, either we make our stand now and we make that stand against Monsanto as uh, far and away the largest uh, biotech uh, company uh, when 90 percent of, uh, say, the uh, uh, corn crop is seed controlled by Monsanto. That's where we need to get the correction. That's where the contamination is occurring. And again, Monsanto was not willing to give us this 
um, legally binding assurance through a covenant that they would not sue, so that's who we need to go to. Okay. That's why we targeted Monsanto. Yeah, well, I mean, it makes sense. But it also seems to me that it's that it's also a federal issue in the sense that the government is, um, in my opinion, has failed to produce a sufficient um, cause for supporting transgenic seeds, being that there have been so few studies that have come to a conclusion about whether or not they're harmful, um, either to human consumption, either for human consumption or for um, the purposes of, of, you know, organic seed growing or any other um, farmer who wishes to pursue a crop that does not have transgenic material. Um, I'm going to come back to this issue about um, the fact that you farmers, you know, the, the burden of proof is now on you as opposed to what it was hundreds of years ago, where, you know, it was sort of the I have I have the obligation to keep my beef cattle in in my yard and and if they stray into yours then i'm liable for that so you know that has been reversed obviously in this case and you guys now have to bring proof positive of having seed contamination that is beyond the trace elements of transgenic pollution now you mentioned uh, before the break that there is no guideline for that there's no actually nobody has determined what that trace um percentage is supposed to be and what would guide Monsanto in determining whether or not they had a patent infringement case on their hands. But the but even beyond that, how would you, what is the process you have to go through to determine um, what trace element exists within your seeds, and how much does it cost you to do that? Well, um, uh, within the organic seed industry, there is um, uh, a developing standard, uh, and many of us are already uh, practicing it, uh, and that's that uh, uh, this uh, Within the Organic Seed Growers and Trade Association, uh, the membership passed a uh, statement that, um, the, the, to paraphrase, basically says that no amount of GMO content in organic seed is acceptable. Any amount is contamination. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is meeting the expectation within the marketplace. This is what our uh, customers expect, and this is what uh, the trade uh, association of the organic seed industry uh, came up with as its standard. So how do we attain that? Well, uh, every at-risk seed lot um, we typically uh, uh, have tested in a laboratory uh, a sophisticated test called a PCR test. It involves uh, taking a representative sample of 10,000 kernels, and it can detect uh, at a level of one kernel out of the 10,000. So uh, the standard that many of us uh, within the industry go by is that uh, the only thing that we will sell as organic seed is, in the terminology of the seed trade, it's a not found in content, meaning uh, if they take the 10,000 kernels and they find uh, zero kernels of contamination, then we can have with confidence say that there was no content found in that. Uh, if there is one kernel out of 10,000, we cannot express that, and that is seed that is taken off of the market and not sold as organic seed. So the, the test is costly. Uh, each one is approximately $200, um, and it does seem like part of the extension of this injustice that innocent organic farmers that are the victims of contamination should be required to have to pay out of our own pockets to do this testing to provide proof to the marketplace that our uh, seed is clean. Uh, We didn't create this pollution. We think the polluter should be restrained first and foremost in their pollution. They should be required to keep their pollution on their side of the fence. And that 
if we need to uh, test on our side um, the, the crop that we grow on our side of the fence, that there should be some kind of uh, fund that biotech puts into so that the testing is not burdened upon the organic farmer and, of course, our customers that, that we then sell the seed to. It's not fair. Yeah, I agree. I think that seems like a very reasonable proposition. I'm surprised that Monsanto hasn't jumped at the opportunity to um, <laughs> to fund you guys for making these tests. I mean, <clears throat> I'm just kidding here. But um, anyway, it does seem like that would be a fair way to go. Now, what happens if, so if, say, your organic seed is contaminated and thus your crop is no longer valuable as an organic seed crop, are you still able to sell that onto the open market or... Or is it, I mean, obviously you would, but how much of an economic loss do you sustain um, in percentages if that happens? Tremendous economic loss. Uh, uh, If it's contaminated seed, uh, seed is a very, very high-value concentrated crop. Um, For example, um, uh, if you grow one acre of cabbage uh, uh, for seed, and harvest that cabbage seed off of one acre, you will then have sufficient seed to plant 10,000 acres of cabbage. Wow. So it's a very concentrated crop. Seed is extremely valuable. Uh, so for us to lose uh, a seed lot because of contamination is a devastating blow for any seed grower. And is you know, there we, any we, crop insurance for that? Not that I know of. Mm-hmm. And would that be something that you would hope to see built into, say, the farm bill? I mean, is that is that something that would be a well, plausible addition no. to uh, federal what, allocations for crop insurance? What I'm afraid is that Monsanto might get behind this and say, okay, we'll just insure them and pay them, and then they can quit their complaining. Mm-hmm. What I want, what the organic seed industry wants, what the organic community wants, is for Monsanto to keep their pollution on their side of the fence. We have a right to run our farms the way that we want. We have a right to raise our crops free of GMO contamination. We have a right to sell um, good, clean crops to our customers and to feed them to our families. They do not have a right to invade our farms, to trespass upon us, to contaminate and ruin our crops. And I think that it was um, inappropriate and premature of the federal government to have allowed these GMO crops to go into uh, commercial production when it's basically a flawed, it's a, a flawed technology, uh, this entire GMO uh, technology because of the contamination uh, uh, episode. And I, for one, do not want to be bought out by claims of some kind of a insurance system. What I want them to do is to respect the community that they operate in and to keep their pollution themselves. It's it's a basic, basic right. You know, the, the factory that uh, puts uh, uh, pollution through their air stacks into the community and causes health problems, uh, we all recognize that that's not, um, not the proper way uh, to interact with the public, that they need to uh, uh, provide uh, assurance that the public's welfare is first and foremost. So within rural America... Their need is to contain that pollution, and until they do it, I don't think that they should be allowed to do it. Now, another way, maybe they should be required, okay, if, if uh, corn basically is white and yellow corn, maybe their own GMO corn has to be purple so that we could see the purple kernels on our um, uh, corn and, and visually see the contamination. But that's the problem, is that they have allowed 
um, GMO versions of traditional corn, meaning yellow corn or in some cases maybe white corn, come, and there's no visible distinction between the GMO and the um, uh, the traditional. So that's why we have to go to this uh, uh, sophisticated testing. And because it's um, invisible to the human eye, there's no real way to have it as a recallable form of pollution. It's an unrecallable uh, pollution. It, it can't be pulled back once it gets out there. It contaminates seed crops. And many of us, a lot of, you know, one of the crops that we grow on our farm <coughs> is organic seed corn. And these are open pollinated varieties that we have developed and selected for many, many years. This is irreplaceable seed stocks. And for us to suffer a contamination episode could be catastrophic to us. And that's the case with many of the farmers within our plaintiff group. But the principle remains, they're the polluter. They need to respect uh, the laws upon which the United States has based its uh, protections of the community and of the commons, and that's that they need to keep their pollution on their side of the fence and not expect us to buffer it out on our side of the fence. In reality, the buffers just can't be uh, large enough to give us that protection. Well, this is this a fascinating case, and I, I'd love to, um, you know, talk to you further in March after the verdict is handed down from Judge Buckwald. Um, in the meantime, I urge people to take a look at the OS Organic Seed Growers and Trade Association Osgata website at uh, www.osgata.org. And uh, Jim, I thank you so much for your time today. I know I took you away from your work, so I really appreciate this, and I wish you all the best uh, with the ongoing trial and and whatever happens and whatever we can do here. Um, we're happy to help you publicize what's going on. Uh, so do keep in touch with me, okay? I will, Katie. It's okay. been good talking with you. Thank you, sir. Likewise. And this has been an episode of Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, we'll be back next week with another new and exciting guest, um, whose name I can't remember right now, but believe me, I do have it booked. I thank my sponsor, uh, as well as Edwards and & Son, and of course, uh, the inimitable Jack Inslee, my producer and engineer. And we'll be talking next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.